0: Good morning. We'll get everything set up here as the band is moving down. And we're on a technological experiment this morning. That's what we get when we have the pinch hitter, or the the amateur hour that comes in to take in, take on uh, the uh, message today. Let's see if I. Uh, can get this to uh, come up. Oh, there we go. So far, so good. Well, good morning again. Uh, my name is Cam McElhaney. I'm uh, just a uh, normal Joe here. I do help out with the men's ministry, leaving leading uh, men's ministry. Just something that God has put in my heart. And of course, with Sid uh, needing to go to uh, his father-in-law's funeral, he Tapped me on the shoulder said, hey, would you like to <laughs> give the sermon? And I said, you know God does, has put a message on my heart. Um, and then I thought, oh, it is, um, it is also the uh, weekend of Memorial Weekend. So I figured, well, I should probably also make some comments or remarks. I by no means would have a whole sermon that would be a Memorial Day sermon. I did not serve myself. I do have three sons and my father who served. But, so um, this message... Is titled Inheritolatry. This is the only slide that came through a little bit different, but you can't read that very good. But that's a funny word, and I'll get to that in a minute. But just to practice, Inheritolatry. What is Inheritolatry, right? Can you say Inheritolatry? Okay, repeat after me. Inheritolatry. All right, we'll get to that in a minute. But just a couple of, of uh, uh, remarks about uh, Memorial Day. Uh, From Franklin Delano Roosevelt, those who have long enjoyed such privileges as we have enjoyed forget in time that men, and I've added, and women, have died to win them. And So that, uh, I think, is a a good and important thought to think about. I also found um, uh, something from... uh, Rachel Engel, she's a Military One columnist, she said five things not to do on Memorial Day. She says, one, don't wish anyone a happy Memorial Day. This is not Christmas. Memorial Day was not founded in joy with the promise of bringing glee each year. It was established as a way for the country to set aside time to honor the troops who had given their lives in service to America. In 1868, General John Logan declared the day, quote, The purpose of strewing with flowers or otherwise decorating the graves of comrades who died in defense of their country during the late rebellion and whose bodies now lay in almost every city, village, and hamlet churchyard in the land. Despite what the day has transitioned into in American culture, it was established to honor and remember America's fallen. Number two, don't thank the current troops at least don't thank them just because it's Memorial Day. They deserve respect and gratitude every day of the year, but this day is set aside specifically for America's fallen warriors warriors from every war. Americans' veterans are to be honored during November on Veterans Day when we aim to remember and appreciate the sacrifices of all veterans. But Memorial Day allows the country to focus on those service members who are no longer with us and important distinction. Number three, don't disregard its importance. Though discounts abound for nearly everything from cars to furniture to pool supplies, that's not what the holiday is about. When we focus on the backyard barbecues or the discounts on refrigerators, we allow the true meaning to become lost, particularly when the country has perpetually been at war for the last 16 years. This isn't something that we can allow to happen. Grill some steaks, find the perfect mattress on sale, just don't forget to raise a glass in honor of those servicemen and women who have gave the ultimate sacrifice. Number four, don't forget that it exists. Even worse than allowing the day to become synonymous with deep discounts and potato salad, it's letting it slip from the public's mind completely. When it becomes simply a highly anticipated extra morning of sleeping in instead of the day of reflection and appreciation it was meant to be, we disregard or disrespect our fallen troops. And finally, fifth, don't let politics keep you from rendering respect. Even if you don't agree with the idea of war or the reasons that America goes to war or the policies of a particular president who was commander-in-chief during a specific war, it doesn't matter. People have defended the, the people and interests of America for over 200 years, and your right to disagree with the reasons for war should be separate from your opinion of the troops themselves. So that's, um, that was my little bit of remarks. I know that it's important to me, it's important to all of you, uh, Memorial Weekend. Before we get into the message Entitled "Inheritolatry," I do want to have a, just a, a quick uh, little story that'll be light and uh, something funny. So, a couple weeks ago, I'm watching Nettie. She she gets in front of the mirror, and she usually, you know, her daily routine, it changes outfits three or four times. And she's, you know, I get to be, you know, the 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 uh, the, the fashion show judge oftentimes, and I've learned pretty good how to you know, how to navigate that. But I got to thinking, I'm thinking, oh, her birthday is coming up in a couple of weeks. So I thought, I'm going to let her know that I'm thinking about this, you know, I'm trying to be wise. And I said, so honey, what would you, what would you like for your birthday? And she says, well, I'd like to be eight again. And I thought, oh, okay. So yesterday was her birthday. And I planned this great day. And it started off with, I made her a big bowl of Froot Loops. And I said, okay, honey, after breakfast, we're going to Elitch's, to the theme park. And oh, what a day. We did the half pipe. We did Mr. Twister. We did the blazing uh, buckaroo. We did the Tower of Doom. And then we did the brain drain. We did everything in the park. And after five hours later, we leave and she's kind of woozy. And what do I do? I... The next step, the next plan was take her to McDonald's. I got her a Happy Meal with extra fries and a, and a strawberry shake. And then after that, we went to the movie. We went to see Top Gun and we had popcorn and soda pop and her favorite candy is cinnamon gummy bears. And so what a day. We get home, we're exhausted, we lay down on the bed and close our eyes and I said, so honey, how does it feel to be eight again? And her eyes opened up, and the expression on her face changed. She says, "I meant dress size, size eight. You idiot!" So even when uh, a man is uh, listening, he's often going to get it wrong. So let me let me pray uh, for this message, um, Father in heaven. We thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, just uh, the opportunity to gather as your family to worship you, to be in fellowship, and to also hear and uh, uh, teach and, and listen to and see look at your word. Lord, you've given me this message, and, and I want it to be all for your glory. Lord, please, uh, this message, uh, let it be that, that uh, you speak through me, and that it be a, a message for such a time as this for our day. And I pray uh, this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, Inheritolatry. What kind of word is this? Well, it is a made-up word. It is two words put together. It's inheritance and idolatry. Ooh, that sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? All right, well, it actually is also the title of a book that I have recently read by a friend named James D. Wise, a friend. I have met him. Uh, he, uh, he's a financial advisor with Ron Blue and Company. He teaches Uh, in the the Kingdom Advisors realm, which is a ministry that I'm involved with. Um, But this is what he starts out with uh, in the uh, introduction. The the subtitle is for Inheritolatry is The Final Obstacle to Completing the Great Commission. And his introduction is titled Finishing the Work. Five trillion dollars Not just any $5 trillion, but $5 trillion of God's money that has been entrusted to this generation of Christians is presumably for a specific purpose. $5 trillion, that is currently in the hands of God's people, is well in excess of the amount needed to complete the work of the Great Commission. And the only thing standing between God's money and the completion of God's work is us. So that's the premise. You get the premise of his book is here's the idea. God has given us the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel of all to all nations. We're going to take a look at that in a little bit more here. But But we're also, that means that someday this is going to be completed. And I'm, I'm I'm one of these, you know, I grew up in my spiritual life in Campus Crusade for Christ uh, when I was in college, and, and, and I heard it all the time. I heard it from Bill Bright himself, you know, but the, the message was that gripped my heart was that we are for the, the fulfillment of the Great Commission in our generation. Some generation is going to be the generation that is alive on the planet that is when God decides to fulfill the Great Commission, that's somebody's going to be part of it. Why not us? And, and Jim Wise has done this research where as he talks about this $5 trillion, actually what's going on in our culture is there's $72 trillion that's changing hands right now from one generation to the next. That's the largest transfer of wealth or transfer of stewardship when we think of it in a Christian perspective, $5 trillion is what's in the hand of, hands of American evangelicals, and that's what he's, he's, he's presuming here, that we have the resources to fulfill the Great Commission. But what in the world are we doing with God's money? So as he looks at inheritance, there's a perspective. Do we have a biblical perspective on inheritance? And then also idolatry. Could it be as we, we know that oftentimes that there is a, uh, a thought that, you know, one generation who, who has accumulated thinks, well, I want to pass this on to my kids so that they have a better chance in life or a better opportunity in life than I had when I started. And then there's oftentimes also a wrong perspective on those that look to in, inherit some, some wealth. They look at it as, I'm entitled to that that's mine. And so we have that type of perspective. Now, I'm not specifically calling out this church as an indictment with an ulterior motive. No, my purpose in starting this message with this introduction is that I want to help teach biblical generosity and stewardship and help align you to a better biblical perspective. But what I see is a better biblical perspective than what the church has typically had. I'm able to also get up and and, and teach something that typically pastors are not allowed or not able to to get up and teach, but it hasn't been taught well, in my opinion, in the church um, over over time. So this is my ministry, and it's my calling to help uh, for such a time as this, I believe. I also have another little disclaimer or caveat to say, you know what, I'm just, I'm a man on a journey myself. I call it the journey of Generosity. I'm learning and growing and walking in this, and this is not something that I have have figured it all out i'm I'm a fellow struggler i'm I'm a pilgrim in the progress, you might say uh, like yourself and and I'm um, growing and, and wanting to be an encouragement as we're in this journey. Sometimes when you're in leadership, really the, the reality is you're only a half a step ahead of those that you're trying to point in a certain direction anyway. So that's my, what I have to think of there. Um, I want us to also think, do we have a biblical or a worldly perspective? And here's the big idea. The reality is that, that God has given us an inheritance, and it's not... A bunch of material stuff. It's the kingdom. Okay. So, what we're going to do take, first, take a look at the Great Commission. Now, we, we know that Matthew 28 18 is, is kind of the most popular verse, but, but let's go back a little bit. In Matthew 24, we have Jesus on the way to the cross. And, and he, he has this teaching in Jerusalem, and he says, you know, he, he says that uh, um, this is the gospel of the kingdom it will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come okay and then after he's crucified and and he gives the great commission and his resurrected state before he goes back to heaven Matthew 28:18 through 20 then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then Luke's account, last week we had Sid's message on Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So that's the Great Commission. And we don't know when the Lord will come back, but we do know that this will be fulfilled before he comes back. So that's a very powerful thing to think about. Some generation is going to be that generation. And if God has given us the resources... Let's not squander them. And so, is there a connection between the resources God has blessed our generation with and fulfilling the Great Commission? Are we in inheritolatry? Well, let's take a look at inheritance in the Bible. First, we'll start out with the Old Testament. So, God has a lot to say about inheritance. In fact, in the Old Testament, it's mentioned... 250 times, over 250 times. And starting out with his promise to Abraham, he says in Genesis 12, 7, to your offspring, I will give this land. And then in Genesis 25, Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. We have a lot of other verses, but here's something that's interesting. We can see Numbers 27. Say to the Israelites, if a man dies and leaves no son, turn his inheritance over to his daughter. If he has no daughter, give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, give his inheritance to his father's brothers. If his father had no brothers, give his inheritance to the nearest relative in his clan, that he may possess it. This is to be a legal requirement for the Israelites as the Lord commanded Moses. So this is the understanding that, that the, the, the subject of the inheritance in the Old Testament was the land of Israel. It was to get, so that there would be a preservation of this geography. And, and when you think about it, you look at a map. Well, Israel is not even very big, is it? <laughs> Compared to the rest of the world, we know that God owns it all, And that's going to be a a verse that I'm going to look at here in a little bit. But this inheritance was about the land in the Old Testament and and keeping it as a a place that, think about it, the Messiah, the second person of the Trinity, was going to put on skin and step into time and his foot was going to be somewhere in dirt. That happened to be, it was going to be that he was born in, in, in Bethlehem. That it had to be a place. And that's what I think is, 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 is the, the perspective. But we always look at the Old Testament as a shadow and a type of the real of the New Testament. So what we have is the promised land of Israel was a temporary representation of what was yet to come. So now we look at the New Testament. So here in the New Testament, an inheritance is mentioned about 35 times, but most exclusively related to the eternal kingdom and eternal life. So here's Jesus' words in Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. See it? It's an eternal kingdom. We have uh, James 2.5, Jesus' brother says, listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world? to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. So when we think about God's perspective on inheritance, he provides so that, one, one of the most important things that we we notice is that it's important for for people to provide for those that, that are dependent. But ultimately, it's to leave a spiritual inheritance, a spiritual legacy, It's it's that we are to to influence our children and and the world towards eternity. So, inheritance is God's generosity to us. The most famous Bible verse of all, John 3.16 shows this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Matthew 25, Jesus says, Every good and perfect, excuse me, James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Who does not change like shifting shadows? In Matthew um, 20, 25, we have the parable of the talents. And it's also in Luke. But here we have a master who owns a vineyard or owns a, an estate and he calls in three of his servants, and to one he gives five talents, to another he gives three talents, and to another he gives one talent. And he says, each according to their ability, he says, you know, I'm going to be leaving on this journey, and when I come back, we're going to get together and we're going to have an account of what you've done with with uh, what I've entrusted to you. And so when he comes back, he brings them together and the one who, who uh, had the five talents, as we remember, multiplied, doubled it. Now he had ten talents. And he brings it to the master, and the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master and into the kingdom. Then to the one with three talents. He comes back with six talents. Master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the master in his kingdom. And then, the individual with one talent comes and says, Master, I knew that you were a shrewd businessman. You, you reaped where you didn't sow. And I was afraid, but I didn't want to lose it. So I buried the one talent in the ground and, 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 and I have it. So here it is. I'm bringing it back to you. And the warning was severe. You wicked, evil servant you should have put it at least in the bank so I could have gotten some interest. And who told you that I was shrewd in this way? Away from me, you evildoer. And he was sent out into the darkness. And his talent, he says, give that talent to the one who has 10. We think, wow. Here's here's my takeaway on that. This is our life. And we realize that when we play it safe, that's not what pleases God he had the wrong perspective of the master that wasn't the true accurate perspective and the others had the right perspective and they knew that this was for building God's kingdom it wasn't for themselves so as we take a look at we understand that our uh that that God is the owner of all and we are owners of nothing it's his kingdom and that so that means that We're stewards, we're not owners, we're stewards. And our estate plans, whether you have a will or a trust or that, that type, that's my world, I help people with that. Understand that our estate plan is a transfer of stewardship. And so we need to think about how are we doing as a steward? And if we're planning to transfer stewardship, is the next steward prepared. These are things to think about. Is the next steward a believer? So this American idea of we leave everything equally to our children, that is not a biblical concept. There's a kingdom and there's a great commission to be fulfilled too. I'm not saying that everything has to go to that because it's important to leave those that are dependent with some resources It is important to think about church and ministry, though, also. So, remember, there's no scarcity with our God. That is actually an evil and sinful thought, that that we have a scarcity mentality. Remember, our God is the owner of all. So, generosity, I want to say, is the seed of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul teaches this, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So as I say that generosity is the seed of the gospel, understand that as Christians, we have Christ within, we have the Holy Spirit in us. Understand that we have the DNA of our Heavenly Father, who is a generous God. So that generosity is, should be inherent and is born in every Christian. Now, to different levels, and we're at different places in our journey and in our walk, in our growing and developing of our generosity. But generosity is the, 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 the real mark of biblical giving. Old and New Testament together, it's about generous hearts. And that's what we want to have is a culture of generosity. There's a lot in this that it it is the seed of the gospel. It will will promote the gospel. Look at what Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 7. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and in their extreme poverty welled up in generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us, (laughs) Listen, listen to this, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then to the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a, a beginning, to bring also to completion. So they're actually bringing the, the, the proceeds or the, the gift of this act of grace on your part. So think about this. He's, he's referring to this generosity as grace, unmerited favor it is the gospel it's good news so we urge Titus oh, but that you, you since you excel in everything in faith in speech in knowledge in complete earnestness and in the love that we have kindled in you see to it I've emphasized this with the bold and underline see to it that you also excel in this grace of giving so this grace is something that is, it, it comes out of them. It, it was described as a great joy. And as we think about it, I'm going to jump on a soapbox a little bit here. You, you're going to learn about something about me that tithing is not biblical. It was for the Old Testament. It was for the people of Israel in the land. When you study tithing, you realize that this was... All of the tribes except one had an inheritance in the land. It was a tax. It was for Israel in the land of Israel. It was for them to support the tabernacle and then the temple. And it was to come from the land. So the tithes were brought in because the Levites didn't have a portion of the land. That was what supported them. Guess what? Not everybody had the tithe. If you didn't have income from the land, carpenters didn't have to tithe. What? Jesus, presumably, didn't have to tithe. Whoa! Have you ever heard that before? Paul, unless he also owned land and got income from the land, he didn't have to tithe. He was a tent maker. Generosity. Generosity is giving. So you may use the word tithe. Maybe God has put it on your heart to say, yes, should give a percentage of my income. That's fine. Hopefully you'll think about using the different term, my generosity or my giving uh, to, the, to the Lord's work. So here's the fruit. If, if, the, if generosity is the seed of the gospel, when it produces fruit, this is what it looks like. It's joy in the Lord. First Chronicles, this is Old Testament, 29. 9. The people rejoiced for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. Increased intimacy with the Lord is also a good fruit. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And and then also in Acts, this is also a quote from Jesus. It is more blessed to give than receive. Understand that it's like gravity. It's a physical law. But in the spiritual realm, it is better to give than to receive. When we start experiencing that, we start experiencing the good fruit of generosity, increased intimacy with the Lord. There's also an increase in heaven. Matthew 6.20, Jesus said, but store up for yourself treasure in heaven. What is that? Storing up a treasure in heaven. It is blessed it is uh, also, I'm looking for, this is something that Paul said in, in Philippians. He says, I'm looking forward to what may be credited to your account. Philippians, uh, and also he said, instruct the, he said to Timothy, I forgot to put the reference. Instruct the, the rich to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure. Well, what, what would the treasures be? The treasures are going to be other souls things that last for eternity. Get where I'm going with this, that this is, it's not about stuff. More, here's more, more of the good fruit of generosity. There's gonna be increase on earth. There will be prosperity. Oh, this is interesting. Proverbs eleven twenty five 25 says, a generous man will prosper. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth. Then your barns will be filled to Overflowing. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous. Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians 9:11. So that you can be generous. Philippians 4: You sent me aid. God will meet all your needs. What is the difference then between that heretical prosperity gospel and biblical generosity? Well, here's three little tests that will that I think are, are things that are good indicators. In the prosperity gospel, it's about I give or I tithe so that I can get and have luxury. That's one test, one little light that would go off. A second is in in uh, The prosperity gospel, the increases for self versus in biblical generosity, increases to help others. And back to the third thing, use the parable of the talents and their perspective on the master. How do they look at at God? What's their perspective of the master? I think that's another uh, indicator or something you can use as a test. So uh, there's also um, favor of others And growth of the church when you look at the snapshot in the book of Acts especially in chapter 4 you see these people that are very generous they're 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 selling land and bringing the proceeds they're sharing everything with everyone else and there's great joy in the community and not only that God was adding to their numbers daily those who are being saved and not only that but there was favor from everyone that's not just from those that are in that growing community of believers. Those that were outside were looking at it going, wow, this is very interesting. This is very good. And that was the blessing that God had put in on that favor of others and the growth of the church. So doing good works and doing it with joy and delight is something that will add to our numbers and also others in the community can look at it and, and see it as good. Okay, and there's even more of the good fruit of generosity. We can get the, have the praise of the Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Are those not the words that we all want to hear when we see our Savior face to face? Well done, good and faithful servant. What's also being part of the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Wouldn't that be something to be part of? The, God's fulfilling of the Great Commission? So how many, or who do we want to take to heaven with us? That should be a thought on our mind. Who do we take to heaven with us? And how does this impact your view of leaving or receiving inheritance? You know, and I, I, I look at this, you know, for myself. I'll even give a little bit of, a, of my own personal example. Yes, I, I, am, I am due to, Lord willing, sometime in 10 to 15 years, my parents... Have, have amassed a, a, a little empire in eastern South Dakota of rental property. And my brother and I will inherit that. But our, our, my brother and I have had conversation about this. It's not to increase our lifestyle. It's not to increase our, our, our worldliness, but to increase our generosity. How can we include our family and our children and our grandchildren in teaching them about the joys of generosity and and stewardship? We want to use that as a tool for God's glory and for good. All right, so how am I to be generous? Whatever the Lord has blessed you with, ask him about it. Lord, of all the things that you've blessed me with, how much should I keep? How much to my kids should I give? How much should I leave to the church or to missions? Those are the types of questions. But even if you're not thinking about, about that, Lord, what else? Um, you may not think, you think you're modest and humble, and, that's, and, and there's a lot of folks that are in that situation too. It's like, well, it's not like I'm leaving my kids or anybody a, a large inheritance, but we have a lot more that the Lord has given us. Give us a generous heart, Lord. Pray that. Think of your time, your treasure, your talents, your temple, your hospitality, love, prayer, teaching, instructing, encouraging. Think of the fruit of the Spirit. Can we be good stewards of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? The wisdom that God has blessed us with. Our life. How can we be stewards of our life? So the gift of giving, this is another thing that I've observed. The gift of giving, it's a spiritual gift that's listed in Scripture. It's often coupled with the gift to either make or save money. And then there's the inverse. Sometimes there's people that are very gifted at being able to make and save money, but they haven't thought about developing this as the gift of giving also. So those are things that we think about. We're all to be called to be givers and to be generous and have generosity because it comes from our Heavenly Father. But it's also, there are some who are also blessed with a gift of giving. I I, uh, was mentored by a gentleman who, he and his wife are now with the Lord. His name is Paul and Ruth Lindholm. They lived in northern Minnesota. He owned banks, several banks. And he says, but I grew up, my father modeled to me giving 50, 60, 70 percent of his income. (laughs) And so that's what that was. And he was an amazing man. He was one of these guys that also had the gift of evangelism. And he would, he would be, he'd tell me stories about, yeah, I was sitting in my bank office the other day and this guy came rushing into my office. He says, Mr. Lindholm, I don't know why I'm here, but I'm supposed to ask you about Jesus. (laughs) <laughs> he was one of those kinds of kinds of folks, you know, that, that wherever he went, there was people coming to the Lord. But he was also uh, blessed with the ability to make money and to give money. Uh, and so that was uh, someone that I've started on this journey of learning from to have that perspective. We can ask the Lord for it. So as I finish in conclusion here, some of you might uh, be familiar with an old hymn. Uh, a lady named Frances Havergal uh, in 1874 wrote, to take my life and let it be, consecrated Lord to thee. Chris Tomlin has recently redone this, also made it popular. Um, I didn't have time or foresight or thought to talk to the worship team to say, can we sing this song? It will be what I'll use in our benediction. But as we come to this, I hope that this has stirred your heart to think about biblical generosity in a different way. And I want to come before the Lord, and let's just uh, let's pray as the band comes up to, to finish our, our service. Uh, let's just go to the Lord. Father, I thank you for this message. I thank you that for such a time as this, could it be? Are we this generation, Lord, that might be the ones that are here to release the resources to fulfill your great commission? Would you use us in this way? And for such a time as this, Lord, how would you use Front Range Alliance Church? And uh, Lord, I just pray that this message will resonate and stir with us. And, and we will all uh, join in on this journey of generosity and to create a culture of generosity. We know that that's going to look different for everybody in different ways. But Lord, uh, we want to see You do things because we're full of joy, and out of our circumstances, we're able to to see you work, and we want to join with you in what you're doing for your kingdom and for your glory, and we pray this in your name, Jesus.